Hi, Yana. I'm so glad to have you on my podcast today, and welcome everybody to Make Smart Sexy. Now, let's get to another podcast review of the week. Another five-star rating by Senior Parkour Luan, titled "Relationship with Food." Hey, Karen. I thought I had read everything on this topic. I learned something new today. Listening to your episode on brain health, you love donuts. Do donuts love you? Hmm, got me thinking there. And can I say how soothing your voice sounds? Thanks for sharing your work. Oh, thank you so much for this review, Luan. Today is a very special guest whom I have on my show. Her name is Yana Dawson, and、uh, I met her about two years ago at the School of Positive Psychology. She was my lecturer then. Such an inspiring、uh, person, beautiful individual, and today it's such an honor to have her on my show. So, Yana, welcome to Make Smart Sexy Podcast Show. How are you today? You. I'm great, and thank you for having me, Karen. And、uh, I think、um, I always loved connecting with you, and I have learned so much from you as well. So, I'm very, very happy to be here. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome.、It's、such a pleasure. So, please tell the audience who you are and what you do. Uh, oh yes, I love telling people what I do because I love what I do. <laughs> so my name is Yana. I'm originally from Croatia, but I have been in Singapore on and off since 1990.、Uh, so this is definitely my home. And I always loved connecting with people. I loved communicating. I loved meeting people from different uh, cultures, uh, traveling around. And sort of one thing led to another, and I ended up being introduced to positive psychology. Which really resonated with kind of the way I see people. Positive psychology really looks at、uh, the best of every individual and、uh, tries to look at solutions as opposed to look at problems. Looks at、uh, people from a lens of abundance rather than deficit.、Uh, so I really loved that whole idea. So I became basically a positive psychology practitioner.、Um, I did my masters of science in applied positive psychology. And、um, currently, I work as a wellness consultant, as a trainer, as a lecturer, and program developer at the School of Positive Psychology.、Mm, that's inspiring. So, tell the audience what is positive psychology, and how is it different from traditional psychology? So, positive psychology is actually a science. It is an evidence-based research on what makes life worth living. It is actually a continuation, I would say, of the traditional psychology. So, if you look at it on a continuum of, let's say, minus ten to plus ten, the traditional psychology really focused, which is a good thing because there's a lot we can do with what we have learned from looking at what is wrong with people,、uh, how we can help people with、uh, mental health issues. We have come a long way to understand. How we can treat these and、um, and really make people miserable people less miserable, as Martin Seligman said. However,、uh, certain psychologists felt that there was a big gap、um, in. So, what happens when we take people to, let's say, zero? What then? Is that enough? Are we doing the best that we can? Are we really taking people to their highest potential? So, the question is, how do we then take people who are doing okay? And most people are doing okay. How do we take them towards thriving and flourishing? 
How do we take them to have meaning in life, to have really good relationships, to experience positive emotions, to use their strengths? So the science of positive psychology really looks at how do we take people towards pathways of being at their best using science and using evidence-based research. Okay, wow. So what I'm hearing is that positive, positive psychology enables a person with the evidence-based technology or rather the methodology, right, to help to unleash um, person's potential of reaching the happiness index. Is that is that also something possible that they could perhaps reach, maybe? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I do believe that each one of us has the capacity to be at our best. And I'm not saying that that is the same for every individual. Your best is different from my best. And your idea of happiness might be different from my idea of happiness. However, we, through research, we have found that across the globe, there are certain things that most people across cultures genuinely care for, that define uh, that they're thriving in life that they can say that they're uh, hitting higher life satisfaction. Things like uh, relationships, they're really important to our well-being and our levels of happiness. Uh, Having meaning in life is really important. Maybe the way that we form these relationships is very different from culture to culture, but ultimately having these deep, high-quality connections and relationships in our lives really helps us to be at our best and supports our well-being. So we believe that every single individual has the potential to get there. It's just a matter of finding the right uh, pathway for them, uh, creating the right tools to help people, helping individuals develop their own strategies, and helping people find what are their sources of meaning. And, uh, what, for example, what does achievement mean to them? How will they, what does a good relationship look like to them? And how can we get them there? Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And it's, and it's something that, you know, like right now in this pandemic period, and there's a lot of Zooming, you know, like Zoom fatigue that we get into. How do we really, and I understand that a lot of people are actually suffering from Zoom fatigue, right? And it's, and also the relationship. Right, not able to foster relationship by Zoom, right? Digital is very difficult than doing so in person. Yeah, so how can we, perhaps our community can share um, some interventions um, in, post, right, in, this, in this practice. How can we help individuals to perhaps overcome that sort of uh, hurdle that they're trying to, to establish? Yeah, good question. I think we're all still discovering this uh, new way of being for all of us. And what are the new rules of engagement? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's actually really difficult uh, for our brain to process um, the way that we conduct uh, meetings now on Zoom. So before the whole pandemic, uh, already our brains were struggling. Um, we are used to sort of like we move the way we live has moved beyond the our brain's capability to actually process what's going on. So for example, in the old days, we used to live in tribes and in smaller villages. Um, so every single person mattered. Our well-being depended on every single person in that tribe. However, when you live in a city with 6 million people, not every person matters potentially to your well-being. 
However, our brain struggles to process that. So for this is why we get really upset when some random person is rude to us. Right. Yeah. Or, you know, if someone does something or looks at you the wrong way and suddenly you're offended by it and, and, you know, you're like, you keep dwelling on it for the rest of the day. And that's really because our brain's trying to figure out, is this person really important? Is this person salient to my well-being and my health and my happiness? Right. So we were struggling with this already. And then, bam, we get the pandemic. And suddenly we're there staring at the screen with lots of little squares and lots of different faces and our brain's trying to figure out who are all these people and how do they fit into my world? Not only that, you tend to see yourself, which is totally strange, right? This is weird. So, you know, I highly recommend that people use that wonderful function in Zoom where you have the little three dots in your window and you can actually hide self-view so that you're not staring at yourself when you're having a conversation because that's like, as well. Um, so what do, how do we do this and how can we make this easier for ourselves? Um, first of all, how do the high self view, but make sure that you take breaks in between your Zooms. So this is what we call create a third space for yourself. So often you will hear people say, oh gosh, it's 3.58. Sorry guys, I have to log on to another meeting at 4 p.m. So you're giving two minutes for your brain to actually figure out all these connections that you have made with 10 people on Zoom or even five people on Zoom minutes before, and you're straight away jumping into a completely different sort of context uh, with people. So really introduce something in your routine that would help you uh, help your brain rest. So whether that's go, go have a walk, look out the window at a green tree for a little bit, a stretch, uh, have a glass of water, you know, just do something different to give that, to create that mental space. And also I would really say, be kind to yourself and be kind to others because we're all trying to navigate this new space. Um, I feel that, you know, we were talking about it a little bit earlier. We used to read body language by looking at the whole body. Right. Mm -hmm. So you got yeah. clues. You got clues from the whole body of what that person was trying to tell you. Suddenly we're stuck in these little squares where we're not necessarily the best at reading micro expressions. Um, and, you know, we often misread what the other person is trying to tell us. And we could potentially get offended by it or place judgment that might not be necessary in that time. You know, it's almost like, let's be kind to each other and realize that and recognize that we're all dealing with a really strange space of communication and interaction. Uh, and you voice very useful and practical strategies for all other interventions, right, during Zooming. And it's true, like, you know, we just forget to take short breaks, right? We just want to pack our calendar, right? We, we just want to sandwich them one after the other. Like I'm sure even like for doctors um, in clinics or even like as, um, as probably business people, they tend to have no breaks in between their meetings, right? I think there's a reason for doing that is like you just want to cram the entire day and then just go home at a certain time and spend time with the family. But they just forget that the daytime is basically the longest time that they spend at work, right? At work on in the office setting and for six, seven hours in that sort of cramped sandwich setting is just not healthy, right? For our mental, emotional well-being. 
Yeah, and like I, I really like the way you also mentioned about the facial expressions. I think that's uh, shall we dive deeper into that? It's like sure. um, yeah, just an example, right? Just an example. Um, like yesterday, okay, just gonna give you the, the example, right? Yesterday, like I was doing a presentation in somebody's um, teaching class, right? And then um, I think you, the the presentation was great. I think the content was good. And then you know, just looking at everybody's faces, and actually, I forgot to you you were saying just click on the three dot, hide my site view, a self view, right? I actually did not do that. <laughs> but I was looking at the entire gallery view, and I noticed a few faces, and the class was very engaging, and it was great, right? And there were a lot of uh, nods, so it's like agreeing to what I said. Um, but there's one person, right? There's one person, um, and who had this poker face, right? So I thought, hmm. Even though I know that I was cracking a joke, but it wasn't. But the person wasn't like laughing. It was no facial reaction. To my joke, so 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 I thought, okay, was my joke too sensitive for this person? So then I became mindful of the way I talked about the joke, I said about the joke, right? So then, as I was um, trying to think of another joke, I sort of became very self-conscious, and then I decided not to crack another joke. So then I said something pretty um, serious this time. So what I'm trying to say is that it's always that person, right? It's always that person <laughs> that can change, that can make you feel sort of conscious about yourself, right? And uh, but the thing is like, why do we always be? Why do, why do we get fixated, you know, by just one person, even though the entire class or the remaining of the class is already affirming that you're funny in that sense? Yeah, but it's always that person. And, and in fact, after that presentation, I was just I kept thinking about this this person's facial expression, and you named it earlier. Mentioned about that. Um, so yeah. So so, what are your thoughts about this? <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, there's a lot that goes on in situations like that. So let's try and unpack that bit by bit, right? Mm -hmm. So first sure. of all, first of all, we have a very strong negativity bias. Okay, we just simply will look for the negative more than we look for the positive. And there's all these biases, thinking traps, like cognitive uh, traps that we fall into, uh, where we catastrophize, for example, or we, we focus on, we overgeneralize, or we focus on, for example, the one thing that was bad while we ignore all the good things. So like you say, you know, yeah. you could have... You could have 50 people at your presentation and they're all smiling and they're all clapping and then there's this one person and you can't help but stare at that one person and you know you're responding to that person then okay and i think we massively overestimate how much people actually engage in active listening and how much people actually listen to what you're saying um people there's a lot of noise there's external noise and there's internal noise um, we don't know what's going on in people's heads. You know, they could be, you know, our minds can travel, our body's here, but I don't know where your mind is. You know, they could be thinking about the, the, the next meeting they have that's, that they're anxious about, uh, something they're stressed about. They could be thinking about a mistake they did at work the day before, and therefore they're feeling regret and potentially shame or all of those horrible emotions that are then yeah. being reflected on their face. You know, so we often are like, oh, it must be me. 
it was my joke. When in fact, it could have been something completely different and they didn't even register the joke. That, that could be one of the reasons. Another one is that we filter information that we do here again, through our habitual thinking patterns and our previous experiences in life. Uh, of course, we all have different sense of humor based on the culture we come from as well, right? Um, mm -hmm. So we often think that what we are saying is what the other person is hearing. But that's not necessarily true. I could be saying something and the other person, the way they're understanding that is completely different, which is why we have so many arguments about miscommunication. No, that's what you said. No, I didn't. No, that's what you said. No, I didn't. That's not what I meant, but that's how it came across, right? Yeah. So it's really interesting. And, um, and unfortunately, because of the strong negativity bias, uh, we look at the weaknesses and we, and we look at what went wrong. And that person could have actually smiled five minutes before that. You probably wouldn't have even noticed. Mm -hmm. yeah. You only noticed... Uh, and I, I, would I would be interested to know if you asked other observers in that space, if they noticed that. They probably didn't notice at all. Mm -hmm. You know, so I, I think it's really interesting how much emphasis we put on that one person, yet we don't know the full story. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then we beat ourselves up about it. <laughs> no, you're so right. I, one thing, yeah, so one thing I do, I mean, just a practical tip, if that ever does happen, which it does happen, it happens to me, it happens to all of us, mm -hmm. I always think step back a little bit and depersonalize from that moment and just say, I wonder what that person is thinking. Mm -hmm. Or I wonder why they said that. Ooh, I wonder what, through what lens they looked at what I said through to make them think that way. I'm curious. So as long as I stay curious, I'm almost suspending judgment mm -hmm. of that person. So then I can go and just say, oh, that's interesting. I'll ask some questions. So if you go back with a question to a person's comment or invite them to share, it could actually clear the air and um, sort of shift you from that space as well of I'm being judged. Yeah, such good points, such a good point. And the other thing is, this was in an afternoon session. So it was an afternoon session, like the setting was probably different compared to the evening setting, right? Because in the afternoon, like maybe the individuals have gone through meeting after meeting, right? And then to hear me talk, probably another, oh, another hour of talking. So like too much talking, right? So maybe that person was just tired, right? And not an expressive person so and again i don't know this person right they're all strangers to me so yeah. i just assume right so i just assume that he hates me or she hates me but it's not true yeah exactly yeah and you you touched on negative bias tell us what that is and um what is that in contrast with right so um basically it's negative negativity bias is something that we are stuck with through evolution um Let's put it this way, uh, during the caveman times, happy people didn't really do so well, you know, they kind of bounced around the world going do 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 and then got eaten by some creature, right? Those that were a little bit more paranoid and anticipated a tiger around the corner um, just tend, did, did better. They had better risk management skills, as one would say, right? Because they could see the negative. So through evolution, we developed this negativity bias. Um, also, if you look at it more in sort of today's terms, 
um, we are taught to problem solve. We are very good at problem solving as human beings. When you go to school, you're taught to problem solve. You yeah. solve math problems, you solve this problem, you know, it's everyone's like, okay, we've got a problem, who's gonna solve it? So we, we have in a way trained our brain to look for problems that we can then solve, right? Mm -hmm. Which look, I'm not saying negativity bias doesn't serve us. Of course, clearly it does because we're still around and as a species, we're doing reasonably well, right? Um, the only thing is it's really being aware of when this negativity bias is hindering you and your well-being and your mental health and your emotional well-being and being really aware of that and being sort of able to look at it and go, what else is going on here? Is my negativity bias just kicking in a little bit too much? What else could be going on instead? Which, is, which brings me to the point that you just were talking about in terms of we're very good at looking at people's weaknesses. Mm -hmm. yeah. Again, that's where that's, you know, it's feeding our negativity bias. I mean, you're being audited. People look at your weaknesses and where you could improve, right? Yeah. Uh, as a child in school, you know, oh, you're not very good at math. It's your weakness. You better go and work on your weakness and go fix it. So again, you know, we're, we're trained to, to just look that way. And it takes a real effort to make a mindset shift. Yeah, that's such a good point. And it's like, you know, when it comes to coaching, right? So when we are coaching an individual, it's not really coaching the problem, right? But we're actually coaching the person, right? Mm. And yeah, and it's not about targeting the problem and not being the expert, right? But really listening, providing a trusted space, right? With the person. Um, and you are really putting on a pair of good listening ears and then just ask good open-ended questions, right? And not just assume or presume, but you're gonna ask if you're not sure, right? And that's how you find out information or draw information from the individual. Yeah, and also earlier when, when you talk about um, the negativity bias, you pointed a lot about um, and when an individual is um, feeling, um, Judge, like feeling judged, right? Feeling judged. So if that's an, uh, if that's um, in probably an, an incident where this person feels that okay, I'm you know being wrongly accused. Now, does it mean that this person is wearing that negativity bias mindset, or is that just the lenses that is or that only happened during that moment in time? Can that be overcome? Meaning that can that be changed? Uh, can that be overturned or is just one situation? Yeah, thoughts? that's a very good question. That's a very good question. So one, one of the ways that uh, we, uh, we help people develop resilience is having the ability to do cognitive reappraisal of what is going on. What's, what is the actual situation as opposed to what I'm thinking the situation is all about? So one of the first steps is really to recognize your own thinking traps. So judge, so being a judge, judging a lot, for example, can be a thinking trap. Oh, like so, so is it? So it's really about stepping back and saying, is this thinking trap currently helping or not helping me? And is there maybe something else going on instead? Am I really, am I jumping to conclusions here with my judgment? Do I really have evidence for this judgment right now? 
or is there something else going on? So it's a training thing. We can train our minds to do a lot. We know now about the neuroplasticity of the brain. We know, we know we can develop new neural pathways. So yes, you can overcome if you have a really strong inclination towards, for example, judging a situation before actually exploring what else might be going on at that time, right? So uh, yes, there's definitely strategies you put in place. And so, so, for example, first is you identify thinking traps. Then you look at when are the times that these thinking traps are really evident for me. So, for example, you might be falling into a certain thinking trap with your children, like catastrophizing. I mean, that was a thinking trap that I was falling in with my son, for example, right? So let's say he was late home uh, and I would be, oh, my gosh, he must be dead, he must be lying in the drain somewhere. I have no evidence for this. Right. You know, it has yeah. never happened before, yeah. but you're falling into this thinking trap that's then causing you this massive anxiety and negative emotions and just being emotionally hijacked at the end of it, as opposed to saying, okay, you're, you're falling into a thinking trap. What are, the what are the actual chances, right? He was at his friend's house. He called you. He's probably fine. He's pro you know what I mean? So you can unpack it. And that, that you can train yourself to do that. It's actually a skill that you develop. Mm. So your awareness levels become higher. And the more you can be aware of um, cognitive distortions that you have, the more you can do something about it. Okay. Okay. And, uh, you know, like this is very similar to fortune tell the situation, right? It's similar, like you mentioned with your son. So it's like, you know, every time it is a, when there's an event happen, not even a bad event. Okay, so let's say something bad, right? Something bad event happened. And then the first thing that person say, oh, how bad is it? <laughs> how bad is it, right? And uh, it's not even a bad situation, but this person already jumped 10 steps ahead thinking, oh, it's, it's actually bad. And, uh, and that is basically fortune-telling a situation. And it's something that even Dr. Daniel Amen talked about, right, in his practice. And he actually mentioned a lot of this thinking traps too. And uh, I'm sure this thinking traps is, is part of the psychology in general, right? I think this is something that yeah. everybody has, right? So maybe in the last few minutes, uh, I would like you to probably share a common scenario, maybe an example, right, of a thinking trap and then how we can overcome this or maybe um, implement a very quick and practical yet convenient strategy for people listening out there. What'd you say? Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, maybe, maybe um, a couple of examples of different thinking traps, if that would be helpful. Sure. Um, so, for example, overgeneralizing which another term for it is character assassination. So what it means is like uh, you're settling on like a global belief about someone's general lack of worth or ability on a basis of a single situation. Mm -hmm. So for example, your colleague has been arriving to work late, like almost every day, right? And you yeah. think to yourself, wow, he doesn't seem to care about his job and is really unmotivated. Okay, so you're accusing that person of a character that he has, doesn't care, unmotivated, uh, disengaged. When in fact, you don't really know what's going on in that person's life. Maybe their parent is sick. 
maybe maybe their one of their kids started going to a different school therefore their morning drop-off is now different and they need time to to get it together so that's a thinking trap and of course you can see how how that would negatively affect uh, a relationship with your colleague at work because you've just now assassinated their character well, so instead yeah. you know instead be have the courage and just and come from a space of kindness and compassion and just go what is going on in that person's life that's making them appear for work every day it's maybe not him maybe it's a situational thing maybe it's an external factor in their life that's that they're just not coping with so you know that would be overcoming that thinking trip so when you catch yourself labeling that person the labeling their character really ask yourself is that really true do i have enough evidence to stick this label because once you've stuck the label it's really hard to get it off oh yeah <laughs> you know so yeah. be a detective go and explore come from a space of kindness and compassion and just and opening up to like no actually that's a good person and every person has a story just because you don't know it doesn't mean they don't have it so go and ask questions is there anything else that could be going on what else could potentially be making this person late for work every day mm. yeah does that make sense yeah yeah absolutely it's like being interested stay curious right and then um be approachable right But what yeah, if the person tells you to back off? Okay, you know what? I don't want you to ask me anything. Just leave me alone. What happens then? Again, look, you cannot control how other people react to you. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, one of the biggest killers of happiness is our expectation that we can control other people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's not going to happen. Yeah. However, you can still choose to come from a space of kindness and compassion. So even if that person says, look, stop asking me questions. I'm not in a mood right now. You could in that moment decide that that person was a horrible human being and just rude. Or you could say, wow, they're really struggling in life. Yeah. Yeah. So in that moment, you have a choice of what's the, what's the, what's the thought process you're going to have around that situation. Which one of these thought processes will help you create a relationship with a person who you might potentially be working with every single day. What choice will you make to cultivate that relationship? And you know what? You can just turn around and say, hey, that's fair enough. Uh, I was just concerned. When you're ready, come and talk to me. Done. Yeah. You know, that's all you have to say. You don't have to prod. You don't have to ask them questions if they're not ready to answer. You can just let them know that you're there if they need it and life goes on. Yeah, it's like it's about making a choice, right? Whether you want to wear the compassionate hat or the uncompassionate hat at the very moment, right? And then, like you said, you know, basically just either you judge the person, thinking that person is horrible, or you back off and being respectful of the person's space, right? This, this person just doesn't want to be, you know, intruded, right? At that very moment. And you're right. It's like he or she probably is going something that's deep and dark, Um, and it's something that um, probably needs further help. And, you know, if he or she want to be left alone at the very moment, and maybe who knows, right? Often probably leaving alone for a few seconds, a few minutes, and then he or she will approach you and perhaps mm. talk to you, right? And open up to you and share things with you, right? 
And right. And, and you know what? This person might eventually you might decide that actually this person is lazy and ultimately they don't care about their job. You know, I mean, look, let's face it. There are people out there who are like that. But I don't want that to be the first thing that I think. Yeah. You know, and if that's the conclusion you draw to when you look at all the evidence, but I don't want those thinking traps yeah. to be uh, so influential on in the relationships. And, you know, it's hard because we're busy and our brains make shortcuts because we make sense. We, we have to make meaning, right? So we try to make sense of every situation because it helps us exist. Uh, so we're not always aware of the thinking traps we're falling into. We just kind of make sense of that situation. Yeah. So when that situation is actually hindering relationships uh, and, and you, you know, your judgment on it is hindering relationships, that's when you have to kind of step back and say, okay, am I really doing the right thing here? Yeah. So good. Hey, Yana, thank you so much for your time. And I think today has been very, very, very insightful, very, very informative and so powerful, you know, and it's basically the examples that we've used are so able to allow individuals to resonate with and it's very relatable, right? So how can people reach you or get in touch with you, Yana? Oh, well, that's a good point. Well, I am on LinkedIn. Uh, <laughs> I do have a LinkedIn page, uh, Jana Dawson. Um, and also I'm at the School of Positive Psychology. And uh, I'm not on Instagram. I'm not on any of those cool channels that everybody else is on. <laughs> Yeah. Yes, I'd love to hear from people. And if anybody has any questions, um, you know, let's unpack it together. This is the only way we're going to learn more about one another. Yeah, I'll post your contacts on the show notes in my podcast. Um, in yes, please. Yeah. And not to advertise about TSPP, but if you guys are interested in taking courses on positive psychology or anything in a module, go check out TSPP and you'll find Yana who is teaching at TSPP. She's awesome. You know, I really enjoy all her classes and lectures. She's an extraordinary person and uh, just go check her out. All right, oh, Yana. thanks, Karen. Uh, no, it's from the heart. It's from my heart. So what is one last thing that you like to tell the audience, maybe just about currently with what's going on, a lot of fear, uncertainty? Um, yeah, like what? maybe a word of encouragement to my audience. Yes. Well, I'd like to say that um, eventually this will pass as well. However, in the meantime make sure that you create enough slices of joy every single day. We tend to look at the big things like, shall we go travel? We don't go to the concerts. We don't go to the cinemas. But you know what? We can actually find joy in the smallest things. We just have to consciously make sure that we tap into those little moments of joy often enough so that it boosts our resilience and keeps us going and have something that we just go, wow, this is cool. For example, like having a conversation with you, that's my slice of joy for today. Oh. Having, having a yeah. cup of coffee with my husband earlier, that was my slice of joy, yeah. you know? So savor small moments and make sure that you create enough slices of joy to get us through this really difficult time right now. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Savoring. That is such wise words, savoring, right? Yeah, savoring a slice, bit moments, bite-sized moments of joy. Oh, savoring a bite-sized moments of joy and being grateful, showing gratitude. That's key. Oh, Yana, thank you so much. I would love to have you back again, probably in the near future. 
But uh, thank you so much once again, and thank you everybody for listening in. Thanks, Yana. Thanks, Karen. Bye, You're everyone. Welcome. Bye-bye.